right. Hey, Beacon. Um, I'm excited. Excited for tonight. Excited to see you guys. Um, and yeah, especially those of you in semester schools. Um, now I'm thankful that you're here with us. Um, I'm actually in a semester school as well. And so this is my finals week and I have one last paper due tomorrow. So I'm right there with you. Um, but yeah, even non-semester schools, yeah, press on, press on. Uh, so as uh, Francis has said, um, we are taking a brief break tonight from Ecclesiastes. Um, and in this sermon, uh, the topic that we're going to address is, um, as you might have guessed from the, the songs, um, missions. Uh, we're going to be talking about missions. Yeah, I wonder what you think uh, about missions. I wonder if you think missions is for them, for other Christians, uh, but not for me. You know, I wonder if you think, okay, I'm not probably, I'm probably not going to be a missionary, but I know that I should still somehow be involved in missions. I just don't really know what that's supposed to look like in my life. Well, uh, this message intends to help with that. What does being involved in missions look like for you as a college student, especially now during COVID? Um, and I'll attempt to help you answer that question. But I'd like to ask a different question, um, a possibly a more unsettling one, uh, but one that is so important for you to be able to answer. And the question is this, how do you know that being a missionary is not for you? How do you know that you shouldn't go yourself? Have you seriously and prayerfully considered going as a missionary? Why not? And that's one of my goals for this sermon. Um, I want this message to make you seriously consider missions, to be a goer. I think it's very timely for us at Beacon to, to do this message on missions because um, this message on missions, it's, it's for you guys, for college students in the middle of a series on Ecclesiastes, and it's during COVID. And, and let me explain. So first, it's timely because it's for you who are in college. There's a reason why many missions conferences target your age group, late teens, early 20s. And it's because um, you in your age group have, have less weighty commitments. But soon enough, you'll, you'll likely be working full time. You'll, you'll get married. Um, you might have kids. It becomes so much harder then to seriously think about missions when at that point you'd, you'd have to face all kinds of difficulties that come with, with uprooting your family uh, into a totally different culture, totally different language. And of course, at any time, the Lord could call a person and even a whole family to missions. But your age right now in college is the opportune time to put some serious thought as to whether you should go on missions. Second, um, this message is, I think, timely because we've been deep in Ecclesiastes. And it's been so profitable to think with the preacher in this book, what really matters in life? And there's a million things 
that you and I can be doing, things that we can be pursuing, toiling, and working so hard to gain for ourselves. But how is life really meant to be lived? What does it look like to see life as a gift from God? How can we live in such a way that we don't waste life, that we don't work and play and study in vain, but that we live instead in the fear of the Lord, to abound in his work so that we can be confident that whatever we do, our toil is not in vain in the Lord. How do we do that? How do we abound in his work that is not in vain? Omissions is a part of that answer. This is work that if we do it rightly, that this work will not be in vain. Third, I think this message is timely because it's during COVID. And I confess uh, that it is so easy to get caught up in doing your own thing. I'm as good as these things may be to not invest as much into relationships. Uh, Even though I might think about others, it's so easy to not carry that out into action, into practically and tangibly loving others. And, And this includes evangelism, actively seeking to be a witness. And many times I've thought, man, I should reach out to this unbelieving friend Uh, But honestly, I've put it off for weeks and even months because because I'm just working on something and, and it's good work. But if missions is really evangelism and discipleship done in a foreign context, then how does that look like right now in our local context? What has evangelism looked like for you during during COVID? How have you been making disciples in the past number of months? And this is why we need this message on missions, uh, because it forces us to think about God's kingdom rather than our own, Uh, to not waste this life and work that is vain, living for ourselves, but living purposefully, studying purposefully, doing God's work and doing it now during COVID as college students. And, and preparing for possible service in a place that doesn't have but desperately needs the bright hope of the gospel. That's why we should think about missions tonight. So um, that might have been a long intro, but um, yeah, it's going to be a little bit longer um, because I have other introductory comments I want to make. So please bear with me. And there, there are certain things that I need to say up front, um, certain things that will be helpful. Um, one is that there are so many topics connected with missions. Um, and there's a lot of things that I could talk about, but I need to narrow it down to a few things. So with re- missions, we, we can talk about terminology. Uh, what even is a missionary? Should an American Christian working in Saudi Arabia as an English teacher should that person be called a missionary? You know, what counts as missionary work? Bible translation, aviation, flying food and supplies to remote villages, teaching um, health education in local schools. What about teaching missionary kids? Who should missionaries try to reach? What does an unreached people group even mean 
you know, why do some people use terms like unengaged people group or even prefer uh, language group over people group? You know, we could talk about church history and the modern missions movement. We could talk about the social gospel, which is, which is a dangerous, it's, it's not the true gospel. Uh, we could talk about harmful missionary methods, current trends in missions today. So th there's a lot that we can potentially cover, but what I really wanna talk about um, are the two things in your notes, the why of missions and the what of missions. The first is the why of missions. And this is the heartbeat of missions why this really matters and why you should be compelled to join in this global effort, even if you don't go long-term yourself. But I also wanna talk about the what of missions because if you don't get this right, you're not really in tune with the heartbeat of missions. You can be doing a lot of good things in a foreign context in the name of mission but it can miss the mark if, if what you're doing is not tied to what the Bible says about missions. It must be biblical missions. And so we'll spend some time talking about what, what even are, are we talking about when we say missions. Um, this, is, this is one more thing, um, introductory comment. And it's obvious, but I, I don't speak as a missionary. Um, I don't have years of experience in the mission field, and I am not able to share stories like other missionaries are able to do. But I can offer perspective as someone preparing for missions, um, and, and now doing that as a married man. Um, how Ruthann and I are thinking through um, preparing for missions it wasn't that long ago, um, six to nine years ago, actually, when I was in your shoes and I first started to, to think seriously about missions. And I'll share more about that later. Uh, but I hope that I can speak into your life as, as someone who, who isn't out there yet. Um, but I'm right now still thinking through how to prepare well in the years ahead. A big part of that preparation is really seeking to love the church here and now, being all in, being present right here in Beacon at Lighthouse in this community that, that my wife and I are presently in. Beacon, that means that, that we invite you to, to observe us, uh, to look at our lives, to, to pray for us, um, and, and to walk with us. And we hope that as you see a fellow brother and sister keep pressing on for long-term missions, I hope that by God's grace, that would stir your mind and heart for God's global work. That, that our pursuit of God on this path of missions, it could inspire, that it could motivate you to actively support missions, possibly even going yourself. And that's, that's why I believe um, this, this is a benefit of, of me speaking as someone who, who's still here walking with you in the, in the years to come. So going to your notes now, I want to transition to, to the why of missions. Why should any one of us go and, and make disciples of all the nations? It really boils down to one concept, 
to, to this one idea. And it's this, it's worship. And so many finer reasons uh, we can give to, to why we should make disciples, but the pure and simple answer is worship. Even the second bullet point in your notes, um, you can probably guess what that second W word is. Um, and, and that idea is merely an expansion of the first word, worship. What, why, does, uh, why does missions even exist? Why do we even have missions? And you might have heard this quote by John Piper. It's taken from his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. You may or may not have read it, but I would highly recommend it if you haven't. The quote goes like this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions, and that was the end, end of the quote. Missions is, is not the end all be all, uh, but worship is. Because God, he is ultimate and he is to be worshipped. Someday uh, when history ends, missions and evangelism will be no more. But worship will go on forever. So I'd like for us to turn to Revelation 5. Revelation chapter 5. This will be our focus uh, for this section on the the heartbeat of missions. And as you're turning there, to, to set the scene... The Apostle John, he's seeing a vision of heaven. It's a glorious vision. There's a throne standing in heaven. There are all these creatures, uh, 24 elders, four living creatures. They are worshiping the one on this throne. And even though there's all this profound and, and glorious worship taking place, actually all is not well. Because the one on the throne is holding a book that is sealed up. No one can open it. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth can open this book. Uh, So let's read from verse four. Sorry about the noise. Um, Chapter five, verse four. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the others said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So this this apostle John, uh, he, he knows about Jesus. I mean, he's walked and talked with him for years. But in this vision, he's so caught up in it that he is in such despair because he really thinks that there is no one worthy to open this book. But one of the elders answers his question. There, there is, there is someone. There is a lion. There's a, there's a conqueror. There is the Davidic king who can open this book. So what does John see? Verse six. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What does John see? He doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. But, but this lamb who was slain is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what does this lamb do? 
And he takes the scroll from the one who's on the throne. And what happens then? Worship, worship from verses eight to 10. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Why is this lamb worthy of worship? Because he was slain. He died to save souls from every people group. He purchased them for God with his own blood. That's why he's worthy of worship from the lips of those who are still on this earth and have not yet heard the name of Christ. But why is this lion of the tribe of Judah, why is he not merely the savior of Israel? Isn't he the Jewish king for the Jews? Why didn't he merely die for the sins of his own nation? It's because in Isaiah 49, verse 6, this is what God says about his servant referring to Christ. In Isaiah 49, 6, God says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. In other words, for Christ to be merely the savior of Israel, that, that is too small a thing. The Messiah was always intended to be not only the savior of Israel, but the savior of every ethnic group in this world. This is why we do missions. Because the lamb who was slain is worthy of worship. And right now he is not getting it from many people groups in this world. There are many who have not yet even heard his name. He and he alone deserves praise. And that is, that is why missions is ongoing. That is why we must consider, we must go and not just stay. There's a popular story about two missionaries called the Moravian slaves. You might have heard about this. This is in the early 18th century. These two missionaries uh, were from Germany, and they had a desire to serve African slaves in the West Indies. Uh, these two islands in the Caribbean. And allegedly, so I don't know if this is entirely true or not, but 20 out of the first 29 missionaries who went to these two islands, they died in the first few years. So clearly it was a dangerous place. Um, but these two missionaries, they, they were strongly opposed. And, and at one, one point, uh, so and they're preparing to leave, they were opposed. At one point, they were even told that, that they were not allowed to do this. This is because when they were asked how they would support themselves, 
these two missionaries said that they would work as slaves among the slaves. And they were told, no white man ever works as a slave. But finally, um, through difficulty, uh, these two missionaries, they're, they're able to get some support and they are able to gain access to a ship headed for the West Indies. And as their ship pulls away from the docks, um, it's been said that they called out to their loved ones on shore. And this is what they said. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. This is why missionaries do what they do because of the lamb he is worthy to receive his reward, his reward for dying on behalf of those who would believe in him. He has suffered and he deserves to be rewarded. Uh, to tell my own story, uh, I started thinking more seriously about missions in my junior year. Um, and it was uh, actually a little bit before that backtrack. Um, sophomore year was when I was really starting to think and pray about full-time ministry. And in that transition from sophomore year to junior year, um, I knew I, I really wanted to, Lord willing, um, if I was affirmed, to be in full-time ministry. I could not see myself doing, doing uh, anything else uh, in terms of a job. Um, so it was during that summer when I actually switched my major from physiology to applied linguistics. And that's because I wanted to use, I felt like I could use AppLing for uh, teaching English overseas. So as I began to seriously consider missions my junior year, um, it just came down to two options. Uh, it was either a completely unengaged language group that's never heard the gospel, or it would be Japan, um, which is still technically considered un unreached. Um, but in thinking through that, it, it wasn't hard to, to really come down to Japan um, because the Lord's providence. I mean, I was born into a Japanese-speaking family. I, I could speak it fairly well. I'm somewhat familiar with the Japanese culture. I, I get an understanding of the Japanese church and, and the needs and the struggles there. Um, and, and really, this word kept ringing in my ear. And it's the word is stewardship. Stewardship. Um, because the reality is, not, not just in Japan, but in, in many of these um, hard-to-reach places, even if there are believers, even if there are, there are limited gospel resources. And um, the more I, I knew that, the more I felt that, I just felt strongly, what a blessing it is that you and I could be here in an English-speaking church with so many rich resources and, and thriving, strong biblical churches. And as the Lord was growing in my knowledge of his word, um, as he was growing in my love for him, I, I just could not, um, in my conscience, I could not call myself a faithful steward if, if I knew Japanese and I knew the culture and, and, and yet I, I would hid, hide my, my, my talents, so to speak, in the dirt. And, and that's really simply how I thought about it. And, and the more I was heading in that direction, the Lord confirmed and strengthened that desire. So I wonder, Beacon, for you, um, I wonder why you chose the major you did. Why are you studying what you are studying? 
Why are you pouring in so much time and energy, uh, three to four years of college and, and most likely more as you go on to grad school? Why, why do that? You know, I, I want to encourage you to think, how can you steward your education for the glory of God in the task of missions? And, and that doesn't necessarily mean you will go. Um, and it could very well mean using your education here for the task of missions. Um, so regardless of whether you, you end up being a goer or a sender, I want to encourage you to think, how can, how can I be purposeful with my studies in the work of his kingdom? So I want to um, move on then to, to the what of missions. So when we leave our community, communities, we're a goer, um, and, and we enter a, a, the mission field, a foreign context, what, what should we be doing? And in your notes, um, the one unforgettable principle, this is, um, I, I really want all of us to, to understand this because we can easily, um, yeah, just miss the mark on this point, but the unforgettable principle is, is the local church. The local church is absolutely central to the task of missions. Missions should be about church planting and church strengthening. And I'll show you this by, by taking you to, to Acts. Um, we'll start in chapter 13. So that'll be our next passage. If you can turn with me there, Acts chapter 13. So this is when Paul's missionary journeys begin. Um, there are three recorded in Acts, um, and I think there are four when you look at Paul's life as a whole. Um, but the first one begins in chapter 13. So I'll read um, a few verses here. Now, there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. Um, and there's all these uh, people there. Verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Spirit himself spoke. He's the one who said, set apart for me, not, not just an individual, but a pair, uh, Barnabas and Saul. Um, and then verse 3, then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. In other words, missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, were not lone wolves or they're not a lone wolf, um, but they didn't just go out without the support of their home church, without the support of their sending church. They were sent away. In verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. Um, and then it just goes on and on about all these different regions they, they go to to proclaim Christ. And as we read on, what do Paul and his team do um, after they proclaim Christ in these regions? The, the, there are people who come to faith. And then Paul and his team, they move on to a different location. But they often go back to places where they first evangelized and people believed. They go back because they want to see how the believers are doing. Oftentimes, these are the same places where Paul was stoned, dragged out of the city. Um, let's learn, turn to Acts, Acts 14, uh, verse 19. 
Um, so, so this is it, at Lystra, right before this, it, um, at Lystra, uh, there's a lame man healed by Paul. And uh, Paul, um, yeah, because of what Paul does, this lame man begins to walk. The crowds are amazed. Uh, they, they think Paul and Barnabas are actually gods, Zeus and Hermes. And they're so amazed that the crowds want to offer sacrifices to these missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. But Paul emphatically tells them, no, no. And he, and he preaches the gospel, tells them, you should turn from idolatry, turn from these vain things to a living God. But what happens next in verse 19? But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derb. I'll read a few more verses. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had, ma- and had made many disciples, they, they returned. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And, and what did they do when they returned to these places where they were persecuted? Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So this is what missionaries do. They, they go to regions where the light of Christ isn't shining. They proclaim the gospel. People come to faith. Uh, but these new believers, they should not remain spiritual infants. Somebody has to take care of them. Somebody has to nurture their faith. Missionaries can strengthen the faith of these new believers. And this is why, um, as we read on in Acts, um, yeah, Acts 15, 41, it says uh, he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. In Acts 16, verse 5, it says, so the churches were being strengthened uh, in the faith and were increasing in number daily. In Acts 18, 23, um, it says, yeah, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And the point is that these missionaries strengthened uh, the believers there, the churches there. But, but here we, we need to make a distinction. Um, how, how do we uh, distinguish between a group of believers and a church? Um, and, and this is where we need to know the word so that it could form our ecclesiology, uh, so that we would, know under, we would understand what, what makes a church a church. So if you're still on uh, Acts 14, verse 23, actually the, right after the verse I stopped at, verse 23 helps us begin to answer that question, what is the church? In Acts 14, 23 says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That is the one key part of what makes a church a church. These missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, they wanted to appoint elders. Um, And it's not just this one-off incident. In Acts 20, what does Paul do? He calls together the elders in the Ephesian church. When he's writing a letter to the Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 1, he's addressing all the saints, including the overseers and deacons. Overseers is another term for elders and, and pastors. In uh, 1 Timothy, Paul is writing about qualifications for elders and deacons, leadership in the church. 
uh, for Titus, Paul is writing to this man named Titus to do what? In verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, Paul leaves Titus in the island of Crete, it says, so that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So that's why missionaries. Um, we ought to be engaged in these two twin tasks. Um, we ought to strengthen the church and we ought to be planting churches. And, and planting a church means you got to make sure that there are qualified elders who are able to shepherd that new group of believers. And those elders um, will carry out other essential functions of the church, like observing the ordinances, uh, communion, and baptism, and church discipline. So, again, church planting and church strengthening. So what can you and I learn as, as uh, we seek to apply this? Um, about, um, yeah, uh, applying this to our thoughts on missions today. So as you think about possibly going, um, I think there are two ways we can think about this. One is we, we can be totally and fully devoted to the ministry of evangelism, to discipleship, to church planting and church strengthening. Or secondly, um, and, and this might be where you can, can put more thinking into this, you can use your skill set, take your trade with you, you know, whether it's graphic design, teaching, some kind of business, agriculture, a medicine, healthcare, administration, engineering, whatever it is that you are studying and what you're hoping to do as your job, you can be sent out by a church, be supported by the church, take your trade to a place where traditional missionaries can't go, and you can do there what you are doing here, which is strengthening the body here, which is um, encouraging and, and loving and building up the faith of, of those around you using your gifts. You're just doing over there what you're doing here, but you're able to take your gifts and skills to places where someone like me can't go to. So we must be warned though. Um, this is why I wanted to spend time um, in this section on the what of missions, because there are a lot of, of great ministries and a lot of good parachurch organizations that, that are serving overseas and, and they are important. Um, they're, they're doing God glorifying work, whether it's um, being in uh, orphan care or uh, providing health care, um, teaching at educational programs and institutions, um, fighting sex trafficking. But if, if that is the work that you are doing and you are not a part of a local church out there, you're either seeking to plant one with a team or, or you're strengthening an already existing one, if that is not what you're about, then, then we cannot mistake the work that you are doing there for biblical missions. So I hope that is, is deeply ingain, uh, ingrained, um, the centrality of the local church and missions. Okay, in, these, in this last section, um, I, I want to think more practically, uh, what can you do for missions? And there, there's a list of things that um, 
yeah, I, I thought about that you can do. Uh, it does come down to um, these two ideas. One, you can, you can basically learn more about missions, or two, you can support missions. One, you can learn more about missions, or two, support missions. So first, I put down attend the cross-conference. We, we uh, made an announcement um, a month or two ago, um, but this is at the end of December. And um, yeah, I, I wish I had attended this when I was in college, which again, wasn't too long ago. Um, but yeah, these are our faithful um, people who have studied the word over years. They, they've obviously thought a lot about missions and, and this conference is geared towards um, people in your age group, people from 18 to, to 25. Um, and this is a huge blessing. Um, for, um, yeah, us to be able to come together and think together a little bit more deeply about missions. Um, more info will be given in time because um, at Lighthouse, uh, I think we're, we are trying to set up something with uh, not just Beacon, but uh, with the young adult ministry and the, the high school ministry. Um, but I, I want to, to let you um, just think about that and, and, and please keep that in your mind. Even if you don't end up going, man, as a believer, um, we, we need to think more about missions. And secondly, another way we can do that is to read literature on missions or missionaries. I mentioned to you, Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper. Um, and in the second bullet point, there, there's so many missionaries that, like Michael said earlier when we were singing, um, so many missionaries who have gone before us. Um, William Carey, called the father of the modern missions movement. Elizabeth Elliot, um, as you probably know, the wife of Jim Elliot, who was, was murdered um, by a tribe. Um, Adonai Judson, Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, Amy Carmichael. We should read um, blog articles and um, listen to sermons even about them. Um, because truth be told, missionary stories are inspiring. And I want to give you a taste by um, reading you a poem by Amy Carmichael. Um, the poem is at the bottom of your notes. She was a missionary in India, known for her work in opening up an orphanage. So this poem is written from the perspective of, of Jesus speaking to the professing believer. Jesus is speaking here. Poem reads, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet, as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? It's a sobering poem because 
it's not just Carmichael, it's in the word of God, that if they, if the world has persecuted Christ, then we will also be persecuted. So consider, yeah, reading books or, or listening to, to audio about these missionaries. Um, moving on, consider an STM, short-term missions. Um, you might attend a conference on missions. You, you might watch videos about missionaries. You, you might read blogs and books. Um, but as you know, I mean, seeing the need for yourself and, and hearing the, the noises and, and, and smelling and, and the hearing and, and what you feel being there in person. Yeah, that's, that's sometimes all it takes for, for you to be there yourself, um, for you to really think seriously about long term. Um, and it doesn't even have to be an STM. Uh, it, could, it could even be a short trip. Um, it could even be, quote unquote, a vacation. I have an Australian friend in Japan. Uh, back in 2015, when I first met him, um, I, was, I was curious about this guy who wanted to, um, yeah, live there in Japan uh, to uproot himself from Australia to work as an animator in Japan. So I asked him, yeah, how did, how did it all start? And he told me that it began on um, one of his trips. He just wanted to visit Japan and do sightseeing. And this one time he was at a train station and he was looking at an elderly woman uh, going up the stairs very slowly. And it was at that moment that my friend thought to himself, you know, this lady who is old and who knows how many years she has left, um, she most likely has never heard the gospel. Um, and, and that just moved him. Um, and it was something so small and something, right, you would think so insignificant. But that's a story that deeply impacted him and made him want to take another trip to Japan. Um, and, and the more he thought and prayed about it, he wanted to live in Japan. So he's not a, a traditional missionary. Um, he's there uh, working. Um, but I am thankful for, for people like him. Um, and I bring up that story um, because all it takes sometimes just for, for us to, to step out and, and stay, you know, go out of our little bubble and to see what is really out there. So maybe, yeah, through your on-campus fellowship, uh, maybe through AA, there, there might be an opportunity for you to go short-term. And I know that uh, because of COVID, you know, all of that might be canceled. We don't really know what next summer will look like. Um, but really, I, I want to put that on your radar, even if it's not next summer, uh, even if it's after college. Um, as you start working, um, to really consider going on an STM. Um, the next question um, I'll spend a little bit more time on. Uh, one practical step you can take is go somewhere alone and, and really take some time out so that you can slow down and really think through these questions. Why not missions? Why shouldn't you go? And what is your role in the work of the kingdom? 
um, when I was thinking of a title for the sermon, uh, instead of why not missions, um, I, I played with the idea of why you shouldn't go on missions. Um, you know, but I thought that sounded a little harsh. You know, why, why shouldn't you? Um, why you shouldn't go on missions? Uh, so I, I, I stuck with, yeah, why not missions? Um, but I think the reality is um, that many people who actually want to go on missions, they shouldn't go because they would cause great damage to the witness of the church. Um, people might be zealous and, and full of energy, especially if they're young, but they hardly know the Bible. Um, they don't really know what the church is. And they might not even be affirmed by the elders and leadership of their home church. They might not even really be serving in their local church. What would that do if, if that kind of person is sent out um, into a foreign field um, and, and wanting to really do evangelism and discipleship if he's not really serving here? And there's a well-known sermon by Piper on the prosperity gospel. And um, he says this about the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Quote, it is not the gospel. And it's being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor. Believe this message and your pigs won't die and your wife won't have miscarriages and you'll have rings on your fingers and coats on your back, and that's coming out of America. And Piper, he says this about this false gospel, this health and wealth and prosperity gospel. He says, I don't know what you feel about the prosperity gospel, but I'll tell you what I feel about it. Hatred. And it shouldn't just be hatred for the prosperity gospel. Because when I think of Jesus' words in Revelation 3, he says this to the church in Laodicea. He says that because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is what Jesus will do to lukewarm tepid so-called Christians. He feels hatred towards that. So we cannot export from America immaturity and, and lukewarmness. So, so this question, why not missions, it, it hopefully will be um, a really sobering question to think through. Um, are those reasons for why you don't want to go, are they good and godly reasons? Um, or is it the love of comfort, the love of ease? Is it being content with being lukewarm even? Um, have you always assumed and do you still assume that you will stay here in LA or in the Bay Area uh, or wherever you're from? Um, have you always assumed that you, know, you would just stay here in the States. What are your reasons for staying? And uh, yeah, I, I hope you don't get me wrong. There, there are legitimate reasons to stay. Um, 
And maybe you do know that right now you're not spiritually where you need to be. You know, you're not at the point where you can confidently say that you're a godly example to new believers. Um, that the church can really affirm that you are a man of humility, uh, a woman who, who fears the Lord, a man of prayer, a, a woman of the word. Um, and, and that's good that, you know, if you, if you are there, that you recognize that. And I want to encourage you to keep thinking, yeah, what are you doing to, to get to a place of maturity? How are you growing in your knowledge of the word? How are you growing in serving the church? How are you growing in your character, especially in areas of your life where, where you know um, you are prone to weakness? Um, besides wanting to grow, I mean, there are other legitimate reasons to stay as well, because the church here also needs to be strengthened. The people of God here need to be equipped for the work of ministry. Um, so maybe there is a need in a community here, um, and, and there's an opportunity for you to be a witness there. Your gifts, your skill set match the need, and, and you have a, a God-honoring desire to not look elsewhere, um, but really stay focused on where you're at serving the people around you. That, that is a good reason for staying. But it's good to think through this question. Why should I stay if that's what I should be doing? Um, because once you think through that, then you'll be all in. You want to be there. You want to be all in where you're at so that you can serve the Lord with zeal. Um, so the question, second question was, what is your role in the work of the kingdom? Um, both present and in the future? What are you doing now and, and what are you hoping to do? Whatever you envision yourself doing five years from now, you know, when you're 25 or, or 10 years from now, when you're 30, how will you be serving the global cause of Christ? How will you be participating in the task of missions? Uh, Ruthann shared with me um, that when she first came to Lighthouse, and this was back in 2015, so five years ago, uh, she took this class that was taught by Dan Lim. Um, he's actually um, a missionary that we support here at Lighthouse. And this class was called Epic, and it was tracing God's mission through redemptive history. And in this class, Dan Lim had asked, everyone needs to answer this question. What is my role in God's kingdom? And to pray, how would you use me in your kingdom? And um, it was after taking this class uh, that Ruthann, she um, wanted to really think through those questions. So she went to Wilson Park, which is in Torrance, um, to spend time there, to think and to pray. And she remembers sitting in the car and starting to weep because she was convicted. She, she, was, she never asked that question. Lord, how, how would you want to use me um, in, in your kingdom for missions? And she was um, sad that yeah, she hadn't actually considered it before. So I want to encourage you now, Beacon, um, to ask that question of yourself. 
what is your role in the kingdom and why not missions? Going on to the next point um, for practical steps, reach out to missionaries. Um, get to know them, whether uh, they're from your home church or, or those at Lighthouse, um, Aaron Kawai or uh, Dan Lim. Um, you can, yeah, even receive updates from them, um, pray for them, serve them, uh, even send them care packages. Um, we'll keep moving on. Attend a Japan prayer meeting. Um, this is something that I lead uh, monthly, um, and it could just be one, just one prayer meeting. Um, hear updates about what's going on in the ministries and people that we're supporting, that our church lighthouse is supporting in Japan. And earlier this month, we had one, and uh, there was an individual at our church. I hadn't seen him for, um, yeah, a long time at this prayer meeting, but he, uh, yeah, wanted to attend this past one. He emailed me afterwards saying this, Quote, I'm hoping to come each month, so please keep me on your list. Thank you for this ministry. Uh, it really is wonderful to be able to see more than just our own little worlds and focus on what God is doing across the globe. And I think that's a real benefit to uh, these regular um, prayer meetings um, because it keeps us from just thinking about our own little worlds and see um, just for a little bit of time um, what God is doing in the world. So next, uh, contact Tracy Chang. Um, I put her email in the notes. Um, she is a member of our church and she is uh, one of the servants or, or on staff at Spectrum, which is our international student ministry. And this is a very practical way that you as college students can be uh, really a little bit more directly involved in missions. Uh, maybe you, you already have friends who are international, um, people from other countries. Um, and I know that when I was in college, uh, I roomed with some and, and there was a, a ministry on campus um, geared towards international students. Um, yeah, you might know a guy named Chris Chin. He's a member of Lighthouse and uh, he was a part of um, yeah, UCLA's International Student Ministry through Grace on Campus and, and doing Bible studies and, and things like that. Um, and um, Spectrum, they really want to put more effort into um, how they can reach out to international students during this, during this time. Um, so, um, and particularly with um, social media um, and really promoting Spectrum's ministry. Um, so increasing awareness of what Spectrum's doing. Um, so if you have an interest in that, um, yeah, I encourage you to uh, reach out to Tracy. Um, I actually don't know the details of um, what Spectrum is thinking of, um, but yeah, Francis might know more. Um, but yeah, if you have questions, feel free to, yeah, just ask Tracy uh, or even ask Pastor Francis. And uh, last point, find people who make you love Jesus more and pray with them. And uh, really, um, I, I think this is just a principle of friendship. Who are the people that you want in your life? Um, I hope it's people who make you love Jesus more. Um, 
find someone who will challenge you by their example. Um, find someone who evangelizes um, and, and keep talking with them um, and, and pray with them. Um, Ruth Ann, after uh, she took that class um, at some point, uh, she, yeah, was meeting monthly or regularly um, with a group of friends talking about missions and, and praying about their role in missions. And that went on for some months. Um, yeah, I, I think those are some practical steps, Beacon, that uh, we can all consider taking. And I want to close uh, with this prayer from Amy Carmichael. I think it's very fitting um, because I think for, for us here in our context, I think uh, this is maybe the worst enemy, the greatest enemy of missions, uh, which is comfort, comfort. So this is the prayer. God, harden me against myself, the coward with pathetic voice who craves for ease and rest and joy. Myself, arch traitor to myself, my hollowest friend, my deadliest foe, my clog, whatever road I go. Let me close in prayer. Father, we... God, our, our sinners in need of your grace. God, we know that Christ is worthy, but Father, we confess that we are often so unworthy of the calling that we have received. When we look at our lives, Father, um, God, we are humbled, humbled that in spite of our sins, God, you, you do not abandon us. You do not forsake us. Uh, you do not leave us to, to wallow in our misery, but you give us grace as we humble ourselves. God, you, you give us grace, not only to forgive us, but to strengthen us, to transform us, so that, God, we would be more like Jesus. So, Father, uh, I pray um, that in the lives of all of us here on this call, God, you would help us to, to think um, and to, to pray and to live um, remembering those who have not yet heard the name of Christ. And whatever you call us to do, whether it's to go or to enthusiastically send and support, Father, help us, help us to do that in the fear of the Lord, so that our work would not be in vain. We love you, Lord Jesus. You are worthy of praise. In, in, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.